Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning session of Sunday the 11th of November, entitled, In Sincerity and Truth. And the Bible reading is taken from Joshua, chapter 25, verses 14 and 15. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Really, as we look into God's Word this morning, we're going to be taking our reading, first of all, from Joshua, chapter 24. Just hold your finger there for just a moment because as we read this, I want us to keep in mind one other passage taken from Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. A familiar verse, I'm sure, to most of you. If you don't recognize the place it is from, you'll recognize it when, uh, when we read it. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word this morning. In Proverbs 14, 12... The Bible says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. As we look back into Joshua chapter 24, now for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the first 13 verses, but let me say before we pick up in verse 14, that if you take the time to read the first 13 verses of this chapter, you'll find that in essence... The people are being reminded of all the tremendous, wonderful things that God has done for them from the time of their inception to bringing them out of captivity to bringing them where they are now. They're being reminded that God has always been there for them. And so when we pick up in verse 14, keeping that in mind, keeping in mind that, you know, that God was the one that departed the the, uh, the waters for you, God was the one that that destroyed all your enemies. He goes through the list of of the enemies that they've had since they entered into the promised land and that God in every case has been there for them. And he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did all those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore we also, we, therefore will we also serve the Lord for he is our God. Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. The people said unto Joshua, Nay, 
but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set him a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man, unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Tamnasiria, which is in the Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that, that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Father, we thank you again for this time that you have given us together here in your house today. Father, I want to thank you once again, Lord, for your word and how precious that it is to us. But, Father, I also want to thank you for your Holy Spirit that has come to dwell within us because without him we would never understand your word. We would not have understanding. There would be no power. But, Father, we pray today that we not only have your word, but we do have the Spirit. We pray that you would anoint us, that you would speak through us, that you, Lord, knowing each and every heart present here today, knowing the needs, the lost that need to be saved, the backslider that needs to be restored, the child of God that's just wandering afar and, and needs to be drawn closer, Lord, in every Christian, Lord, the need of their life, what they'll be facing this week. Father, we pray that you would speak and give to each one that which they need this morning. Father, that we would be receptive to that which we not only need from you, but that which you would have us to do for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Our simple thought this morning, if you would, is insincerity and truth. Insincerity and truth. We hear a lot about sincerity. Where does it fit into our Christian lives. I'm sure that you would all agree with me this morning that there are many people that you have met that are genuinely sincere, whether it be in following God. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to, to be tagged a fundamentalist in Christian circles I believe that the fundamentals of the faith are something that we should live for, that we should die for, that we should protect with everything within us, and we should stand upon those things. But you know, there are fundamentalists in Islam as well. There are fundamentalists in many of the false religions of this world. And of course, in the world's views, many times those begin to have negative connotations because you can be a fundamentalist without the truth, and it becomes a very dangerous thing. 
we find that by the same token, I have met many people. I can remember as a young man, literally 18, 19 years old, arriving in a foreign country with my country's uniform on to serve my country proudly, arriving upon that Air Force base, and I knew absolutely no one. Do you know the very first people that befriended me? And I mean, I say to this day, they were some of the nicest, friendliest, lovingest people that I've ever met in my life. They were genuinely sincere in their love for God. They were genuinely sincere in the lives that they lived. They were genuinely sincere in befriending me. And they were Mormons. Now, I could never doubt the sincerity of their love towards me or their sincerity towards their religion and God. But it wasn't sincerity and truth. Therefore, when you're sincere about something that is not the truth, it becomes a very dangerous thing. And that's why that, as we read there in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We must be very careful. Just because that we are sincere about something does not make it right. Just because those that we come in contact with are sincere from the depths of their heart, it doesn't make it right. But you know what is just as dangerous this morning is that we have many Christians sitting in pews all over the world in church worshiping God this morning that have the truth and yet there's no sincerity. They know the facts. They know God's truth. And yet there's nothing in their hearts to drive that truth. You see, I could give you a lot of things this morning, but I want to just point out that sincerity alone is not a prerequisite for heaven. I had this nice little saying last night, and then I should have written it down on my sermon because it came to me after I'd finished it. You know, the truth is, is that we can be sincere and not be right. But to genuinely be right, we must be sincere. You see, sincerity and truth go hand in hand. And, and I want us to see here in just a few moments that that you can't really have one without the other. You can't really separate the truth when it comes to God. You can't be right. Oh, you can have the truth and not be sincere, or you can be sincere and not have the truth. But I'm saying if we are going to be used of God, and you will find in the context of the choice that is being made here that Joshua is putting to these people, it is to do with their service. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Sincerity alone is not a prerequisite for heaven. We know that there are many things. We read in the Scripture time and again. The rich young ruler thought that morality was enough. He was sincere about the life that he lived. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, just like many today, they thought it was the keeping of the law. We have many legalistic groups that have all their rules to follow, and yet... That doesn't make it right. Church membership doesn't. 
People can be sincere and they can belong to this church or that church and be a part. And every child of God ought to be a member of a church somewhere. But the truth is, church membership, just belonging to a church, doesn't necessarily make it right. We have some that will be baptized this evening. But without generation, without being regenerated before that you go through the waters of baptism, that baptism is worthless. It will accomplish absolutely nothing. Religion without the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ is useless. There are many ways that seem right unto man. I give you as an illustration a story that was told by Billy Sunday. I don't know. I never met Billy. I never got the opportunity to ask him if, it, if he knew it to be fact, but he told it as a true story. And he told the story about a terrible blizzard that was raging over the northeastern part of the U.S., which they're known for, and was where Billy Sunday spent a lot of his time ministering. And he told about this, this blizzard that was, that was raging, and it was making it very, very, very difficult to travel. Even as they were traveling by train, it was becoming more and more difficult to even be able to see and know where the train was and even what station that it was coming into and, and where to get off and all of these things. And among the passengers, there was a woman with a young child, and apparently she became very concerned, and she was really worried because she was worried about how is she going to know when she gets to the right place. And this gentleman told her, said, you know, don't worry. I, I, I know this track well. <laughs> I know every stop on it. I'll tell you when you come to the right place. So in due course, the train stopped at the station, this man knew that it was the one before that the woman was to get off. And so he told her, the next station is yours, ma'am. The next station is where you want to leave the train. They went on, and after a few minutes, the train stopped. She looked at him, and he smiled at her and says, Yes, ma'am, this is it. Now's the time. Quickly, she got off the train. The woman took her child, and she left the train, and at the very next stop, the brakeman was coming through, and he shouted out the name of the station, and it was the station that the lady was supposed to be getting off at. The man said, no, wait, you just, you just stopped at that station already. The brakeman said, no, we didn't stop at that station. He said, but it's the one right after, and he called the name of the one before. He said, no, he said, he said we didn't announce any station. He said, we, we stopped momentarily to make an adjustment that needed to be made to the engine, and then moved off and said, we never announced a station stop. And it hit him like a storm. He had put this lady and her tiny baby off in the middle of a snowstorm where it wasn't even her stop. It wasn't even a station. There was nowhere around. And later they were found frozen to death. You know, that man on that train was as sincere as he could be in trying to help this lady. He was actually trying to resolve her fears. He was trying to make sure that she was safe. He couldn't have been more sincere, yet he was sincerely wrong. And sincerity alone can be a very dangerous thing. I read a press release which was released in the Midwestern U.S. that definitely told of a hospital that the officials had suddenly discovered that the firefighting equipment in this hospital had not been connected for the last 35 years since the building was built. All these years, the 
with all these thousands of people. They'd all been so sure that if a fire broke out, right there was the hose. All they had to do was grab it and put out the fire. Well, what they found was that about four foot from the building, the hose stopped. The water line stopped. It had never been connected to the mains. All these years, they had absolute confidence in the firefighting equipment throughout that hospital, but all that sincerity would have accomplished absolutely nothing for them if a fire had broken out. What I want you to understand is that sincerity is important, but sincerity on its own can lead to tragedy if it doesn't include the truth. Now, I want us to look, and I remember, and I don't think I've even still got the book, but I did have a book at one time that was written on this particular passage by a preacher friend of mine that's gone to be with the Lord now that a few of you will remember from when he preached here a couple of times, Brother Gary Prisk. And I had jotted down these notes in some of my notes because in, in reading his book, he had pointed out three things about this passage that he focused on in that book. And I borrowed these terms from him this morning because I think that they say it about as simple as it could be said. First of all, we have to look at the definition of our desire. We have to define our desires. But secondly, we have to look at the motivation of our mind. You see, we can feel things here. But what motivates us to do the things that we do? And thirdly, what's the character of our commitment? The character of our commitment. You know, it's easy to say things and promise things, but it's a different thing to have the character to carry those through. Now, as we look here at Joshua... Notice verses 14 and 15, which is where that we will direct our attention for the next few moments. Let me read those two verses again. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, yes, the worldwide flood, and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, it's interesting in those verses that we read, as you read on down from that, the first thing they do, they come back and they say, oh, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> he says, oh, no, you can't. He's asked them to choose, and then he says, no, you can't. And he goes on to explain himself. Because if it doesn't come from the heart, if you don't really mean what you're saying, you're going to bring more harm upon yourself than good. The same God that has delivered you, the same God he's already reminded them in these first 13 verses of all the great things that they've done, and even they come back here and they repeat some of those things that God has done for them. He said, the same God that did good for you will strike back at you, will do you harm. And we find that 
He wasn't telling them they couldn't serve God after telling them they could. He was telling them that unless they served him in sincerity and truth, they couldn't really serve God. And when they did make that commitment, they placed this stone under the oak tree by the sanctuary as a reminder not to forget the promises that they had made to God. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, and I'm going to kind of do the verses in reverse because I want you to, to look at verse 15. Notice he's really putting the question to them, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If it seem evil. Now, what do you think of? when you hear the word evil. Most of the time today, because of our society, because of all that's been put into our heads, we think of somebody that is evil in some way in their actions and the things that they do, an evil person. But it's interesting as we look here, if it seem evil, I'll tell you this, how could it seem evil to serve God? Well, it's interesting as you look up this word because it literally means this. If it seem evil, means to make or to be good for nothing. It carries with it the idea of punishment or affliction. It literally carries with it another word that we don't use that often, vexation, which means to, to irritate or to, to provoke by little provocations, to, to disturb or to, to trouble. In other words, what Joshua is saying to them, if you would, if serving the Lord seems like some kind of punishment or affliction or irritation to you, if it's a disruption of what you really want to be doing, if you're bored with it, if it's just a bother to meet God's demands, then just go ahead and serve the gods of the land. In other words, he's coming back, folks. Listen, what Joshua is saying to him is, do you really want to serve God? Or is it a trouble, is it a bother to do what God really wants you to do with your life? If it seem evil to you. Now I want you to back up because this is where he's given them. If that's what it is to you, He's saying you may as well go ahead and serve the gods of this world because you can't serve God without that kind. You know, it goes back. Notice, notice up in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. In sincerity and truth. You know, again, we get this idea about sincerity, that somehow it has to do with feelings and emotions, genuineness. It, it, it really, the word sincerity that we have here in our Bible, it comes from two words, sign meaning without and Sarah meaning wax. In other words, without wax. Now, it was used in its originally to speak of pots 
that had been made, the handmade pots that they made, and yet they were unwaxed. Or it was meant to speak of pure honey without the wax. What it's really speaking of is being unmixed. <laughs> you see, the pots in their purity before that, that artificial wax is put on them of God's Word. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, another familiar verse, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. In other words, desire the unmixed milk of the Word, the unadulterated milk of the Word. It means to be what it appears to be, not to be feigned, not to be pretended, not to, to simulate, not to assume for the sake of appearance on the outside. If you're going to serve the Lord, that's the only way that you can serve Him. God is seeking sincerity. We find that in the Gospel of John, Chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, again, familiar passages to you, I'm sure, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth in spirit and in truth. The word truth here literally means to not conceal, to not hide an insincere heart under a wax of worship, if you would. <laughs> Have any of you ever been to one of the wax museums like Madame Tussauds or something like that where they put all these, these wax figures in there? It's a pretty eerie feeling. Some can look so alive. I told them of, of one of the experiences that I had that was extremely embarrassing to me. One of the natural stops, I guess, on the, all the American tourists when they come over is, of course, to take them to Warwick Castle. And, of course, Warwick Castle has many of Madame Tussauds' wax figures all through there and amazingly done a lot of them. And I can remember on one of the visits when we were taking the American visitors through to see this great place and I'd, we'd gone up the stairs up to a next level on the other floor and just as I walked around the corner of the steps and I walked out and there was a, a lady sitting there with her baby and I almost bumped into her and I said, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then I realized it was a wax figure. <laughs> she wasn't real at all. And I'm looking around to see who's seeing me talking to this dummy, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I had to take a step. I mean, she looked that real. And, and of course, a lot of those figures do. It's kind of a, an eerie feeling to see something that looks so real, yet it's not alive at all. It's just wax. <laughs> you see, we find that many times today, even in our worship, it has no heart to it. We go through motions. We've got it all down pat. We've done it so many times that we know what we're going to do. We don't, we don't even need to Look at the words, the songs anymore because they're, they're there in memory, which that's not a bad thing in itself. Mark chapter 7, notice what the Word of God says beginning in verse 1. 
Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. When they saw some of his disciples eat bread and defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. Many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They're telling people that that which actually man has said is what God has said. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. We can become so set in our ways that the truth is that we don't have to have any heart in it. We find that if you look just a bit further in your Bible in the book of Acts chapter 8, we find the account here beginning in verse 13. Notice he says, Then Simon himself believed also. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. And when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. You see, Simon's problem was the heart. He had the wrong attitude toward the whole thing. God was doing wonderful and mighty things in his midst. But number one, he thought it was something that he could buy, <laughs> that he could purchase for himself. We find that... In the end, Philip makes it mighty clear that in fact he has a heart problem. 
that unless he gets his heart sorted out, it's going to be devastating to him. Many times it's easy to honor God with the lips, but he said there, the heart is far from me. Preacher, how does that happen? Well, I've been in a lot of places that uh, it's not quite as hard to get amens from people as it is sometimes here. You know, people, amen, because what the preacher said is the truth. But I've also heard some of them that say amen to some pretty strange things because they get in such a habit of just saying amen to the preacher. And, of course, when we say it, we're agreeing and saying, let it be, let it be so. It's not everything that you want to be so just because it's true. Well, many times, how many times, as I mentioned a moment ago, how many times we stand and sing the hymn or sing the chorus, sing the songs to magnify the name of the Lord, and we know the words so long we don't even think about them. The words come out, but folks, we may as well keep our mouth shut and not sing at all if it's not coming from the heart. We're here to magnify the Lord. We're not here just to sound pretty to each other. If we were, we'd be in trouble sometimes, especially when my voice was cracking like it was on some of those high notes this morning. We're here to sing to Him, but we can only do that when we do it from the heart. You see, what I'm asking you this morning, what Joshua was saying here is what do you really want? You need to define the desire of your heart. Are you here in this service this morning because you want to be here, because you want to worship and magnify Jesus Christ because he deserves it? This day has been set aside for him. Is there something that's more important? Is there something else that you'd rather be doing? Well, just how important is he? How important is he to you? You see, I'm telling you, you're, you're on dangerous ground when you start putting things between you. Oh, preacher, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm not talking about being a Christian. I'm saying you need to choose who you're going to serve with your life. And if you're not going to serve God with sincerity and truth, he says you may as well just go ahead and serve the gods of the world because you're not really serving God anyway. Who are you kidding? You got this wax facade. It's not genuine. Folks, where is our heart? We need to define our desire. And we find from the Word of God that if our desire is not what it ought to be, then we ought to be getting it right because we could be in for real tragedy. Our heart can follow many things, and they don't have to be bad things. But I'm telling you this, I don't care how good it is, I don't care how wonderful it is, if it's between you and God and the place He ought to have in your life, then it's dangerous. It can be the best thing in all the world except for God. But if it's between you and Him, it's dangerous. Don't let something else take His place. God, since the beginning of time, do you realize, why do you think you're here? I'm sure I could ask the question here this morning, why did God create man? What is your purpose? You read the Bible. What is your purpose? To glorify Him. <laughs> to glorify Him. You know, that's what we're for, to glorify Him. Now, I know you hear me preach to you all the time. Why are you still here on this earth? Because there's a job for you to do. If there wasn't, you'd be in heaven. There is nothing in this life that wouldn't be better in heaven, but Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus has left you here with the command to do that. 
It's all tied in right in the same sentence with when he died up on the cross and rose from the grave. It don't matter that he did that if they don't hear the message, if they don't know the truth. Yes, that's a purpose. But I'm saying, folks, the whole purpose in all of it, the whole purpose in you being saved, the whole purpose in, in us leading others to Christ, the whole purpose of man is to glorify him. One day out of your life is set aside, always has been, God's the one that did it. He set up the Sabbath. God's people began worshiping on the, on the first day of the week because the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, there's always been the day that's set aside for him. How sincere are you in worship, in serving God, in winning others to Christ? Oh, listen, Joshua's saying you need to define your desire. It starts in the heart. Is that not, you, you can't get saved if it starts anywhere besides the heart. You can say all the words. You can go through all the actions. You can do every religious thing. Listen, you can pray the same prayer. You can perform all the same acts after that prayer is over. You can separate yourself from this ungodly world. You can live a more moral life than any Christian that you know, and you can still die and go straight to hell because you weren't sincere in your heart when you repented and sought forgiveness from God. None of those things will get you to heaven. I don't care how sincere you are. I don't care how much that you mean it. Unless you were sincere when you repented of your sins, did you promise to follow God? <laughs> were you sincere in that promise? Joshua said it's a pretty dangerous thing if you weren't. It's a pretty dangerous thing if you promise it and don't do it. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Define your desire. We can say so much, but my time's about gone. What about motivation of mind? Why do you do what you do? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows our heart. He knows not only our heart, but he knows our thoughts, the Bible says. He knows why you do what you do. You don't need to cover it over with wax and be insincere and pretend that it's for something else. God knows, and it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. God knows your heart, and God knows your mind. Why do we serve the Lord? I've already asked you, why are you here today? Because your parents said you had to be here? <laughs> you better obey if that's why you're here. <laughs> are you here because it, it looks good to your friends? I mean, they all expect something of you. It's good for your image. Are you here to keep peace at home? <laughs> peace with somebody you care about? I'm just saying God knows your heart and God knows your mind. He knows why you do the things that you do. And a lot of reasons can, listen carefully, they can be good reasons. 
but it's still not good enough. There can be good reasons. I mean, excellent reasons. Why that you're not worshiping as you ought to. Why you're not serving God as you ought to. But just because they're good doesn't mean they're good enough. God knows your heart. God knows what your desires are, really. What desires mean the most to you? Is there something in this world you desire more than God? Why are you doing the things you're doing? What motivates you to be where you are, to do what you do, to say what you say? Did you see, turn with me, if you would, into Psalm 78. And notice, notice verse 36 and 37 because I want to give you this in closing. What's the character of your commitment? If you're here and you're a Christian, I want to ask you, how genuine were you in your commitments to God? First of all, when he saved you and gave you life when you didn't deserve it. You promised to follow him. You promised to give him your life. You promised to follow and do what he wanted. Maybe you've been saved for a long time. What kind of promises have you made to God? What kind of commitments have you made to him? And how have you followed through with those commitments? You see, the psalmist says in Psalm 78, verse 36, Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. Oh, it sounded good, but it wasn't the truth. Why? For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Their heart wasn't right, and they were not steadfast in his covenant. They made big promises, but they didn't keep to them. How critical is it that we are sincere in our commitments? Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 19 says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. You've heard of people being a pain in the neck or well, this is a pain in the mouth, a pain in the foot. Or if you promise something, then it can't be counted on to do it. You're causing people more pain, more heartache. Don't make the promises. Don't commit to something that you're not willing to follow through with. So you see, in fact here, I said in the beginning that being sincere in itself will not make you right. But in order to be right, you've got to be sincere. Choose you this day whom you will serve. The gods that your fathers did on the other side of the flood, the gods of the land where you live right now, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to make a hard statement right now. Understand it and take it in the way that it's meant. There is no reason not to keep your image up, not to keep peace with your spouse or other part, not to keep from bringing the wrath of the preacher and the deacons down on you. Truth is, it's a heart matter between you and God. This morning, if I ask you honestly right now, 
You see, God knows your heart to define your desire. Because that's where it's going to start. It's going to start in your heart. What do you really want? Do you really, really, genuinely want to serve God? Second, what's motivating you to do the things that you're doing? It's one thing to want it and desire it, but your actions sometimes would speak very differently. What's motivating you to do the things that you're doing? Thirdly, what's the character of your commitment? How much does it mean when you promise God something or when you promise somebody something? Because you see, that's why that Joshua came back and was so hard on them. It was easy for them as soon as he told them the truth. It was easy for them to immediately say, oh, yes, we're going to serve the Lord. He says, oh, no, you're not. Oh, no, you're not. And he goes through and he explains to them that unless it's really coming from the heart, that's the only way that you're going to serve him. Because you can't serve him in a flippant way, in an artificial way. You see, they that serve him will serve him in sincerity and in truth. You can't separate the two to serve God. You, can't be, you can be sincere about all the other things, but sincerity and truth. And may I say that going to a whole other sermon there, that's you and God together, his truth but the truth in your life too. Being who you really are, you were saved because God began to work in your heart. For with the heart, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What you say is meaningless without the heart. We find that right here today, I would ask you, just as Joshua asked them. Will you listen to me carefully? You haven't listened to anything. Will you, will you answer this question honestly this morning? Don't let Satan distract you. If serving the Lord seems like a punishment, an affliction, a disruption to what you really want to do, then you may as well go ahead and serve the gods of this world. But on the other hand, if the desire of your heart is to follow God, if that which motivates you is what he wants and desires above all else, if the character of your commitment is one that when you say you follow, you're going to follow God, you mean it. I ask you that same question, who are you going to serve? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, I know that in reading this passage, a familiar passage, but a challenge to me, and Lord, we've just skimmed over so many things, but Father, I pray that you will have taken these words and through the power of your Spirit, Lord, that you will have spoken to hearts here today, that you will challenge souls. Lord, there may be those here today that have never put their faith and trust in you, and Lord, from their hearts, they need to do that today because nothing else. They can be as sincere as they want in their religion and their walk. But unless in their hearts they have come to agree about their sin with you and sought to turn from that sin and sought forgiveness based upon Jesus Christ and his shed blood, his death, his resurrection, Lord, there's a right, a way that seemeth right unto man. 
But the end thereof is destruction. Lord, I pray that they would not get their sincerity in the way of truth. But I pray that they would be genuinely sincere in the truth. Now, Father, for the Christians here today, Lord, you know the hearts. I don't. You know their minds. You know what they're thinking. You know their commitments, what they've made and what they need to make. I just pray that you would simply speak to hearts as you can. If there are those here today, Lord, that need to be saved, if there are those that need to be restored, if there are those that need to make fresh commitments when they look and they're honest, Lord, I pray that you would help them even during this hymn of invitation to stand, step out, to come down, to commit it to you right here in this all of this morning. Lord, walking with you, trusting you to help them with everything else that's been getting in the way. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.